0: Welcome to the study of God's word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles open them. Would you to Daniel chapter 12. Where here we are coming to the end of the book of Daniel. And our time in the next few studies will be on the topic of the end times and what to look for in the end times. In today's message, I've entitled More and More Wickedness in the End. Now, the end, famous last words, sometimes we like them and other times we don't. You know, there are times when we're thinking, when will this ever end? And I'm, certainly we're like in a time right now. When will this ever end? And then there are other times when we think, of endings thinking, you know, I hope hope this never ends. And we can be on either end of the spectrum. But it's true either way, there's an ending up ahead. Every good book comes to an end. Every good movie has an ending. Every good song, every good meal, even our lives, one day will come to an end. The lives that God has entrusted to us. All of our lives and all of our days on this earth will soon come to an end. Jot these down, I looked up a few scriptures just reminding us of the brevity of life. In Psalm 39 verse five, and by the way, we're studying through Daniel and through the New Living Translation, so that's what I'll be reading from. Psalm 39 five says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Psalm 89 verse 47. Remember how short my life is and how empty and futile this human experience. Psalm 144, verse four. For they are like the breath of an air. Their days are like a passing shadow. It's good to remember that our lives will not last forever on this earth. Our lives will soon come to an end. One day we will take our last breath on earth and our first breath is in eternity. We'll stand before God. We'll kneel before God. We'll worship God. Uh, the, The whole sum of our desire will happen. And the measurement of a man's life will not be much how many possessions we've had. It won't be how rich we were. It won't be how much we left behind for our families Or how popular we we were or how much influence we might have. What kind of influence are we? The question of the day will be, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? And that's just a word to some listening in right now. Like you're measuring everything the wrong way. Like you're going after this and you're accumulating that. And you want to make sure you leave this. And, And yet the measurement of your life and mine is what did we do? With the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as believers, what did we do with the new life that God had given to us? And of course, when you hear that question and when you stand in judgment over that question, the decision will over to be made. And yet, for those listening to me right now, the decisions that you make will develop your life for all of eternity. And so we have the joy today, don't we, of asking this question not in the past, But in the presence, not what did you do, but what are you doing? How are you responding to your new life? Have you received him and do you believe in him? Are your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? I mean, that's the question of the day. The question of the day isn't when will this end? And the question of the day isn't when can the churches come back? And when can this open? Those are not the questions. The question of the day is what have you done with Jesus Christ? And how have you responded to the significant revelation or the significant knowledge that you have sinned and fallen short of God's perfection? Or you might have memorized it, fallen short of the glory of God. When you compare your life, compared to the perfection of God, what do you do with that knowledge? Why are we talking about endings? Well, because we're coming up to the end of a book and we're coming up to the last chapter. It's always an exciting time for me uh, when you get to start in a a book of the Bible, chapter one, verse one, and then know that for however however many weeks long it takes us, Or if you're listening to this on the radio on Abounding Grace at a later time, how many time, how many episodes it's going to take to finish it, how many months, sometimes years to finish a book of the Bible that we start in verse 1 of chapter 1 and then we work our way through the very last word of the very last chapter of the very last verse. And we're coming to the end of the book today. For us, it'll be the beginning of the end as we spend a few weeks on this. But we've been studying with Daniel now for, uh, this is our 33rd study, but because of different things going on, it's taken us longer than 33 weeks, uh, 33 midweek Bible studies to get here. But here we are to this revelation that Daniel gets about the end of the world. The end of the world. The, The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will things look like before Jesus returns? And that's what we're gonna be looking at in the coming weeks. What does the end times look like? Now, for the Christian, these things that we're about to learn shouldn't scare us, even though I think they are a little scary or concerning. They shouldn't scare us because we know that our eternity is secure. We're gonna see the Lord. He is coming again. Well, Jesus put it this way. Listen to his his encouragement to the disciples in John 14, in verse one. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this wasn't so, would, would I have told you that I'm gonna prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Our hopes will become reality, and listen, when the Lord comes back, when we meet him in the air, when we meet him in eternity, all of, and I thought of this, I jotted it down, all of our faith becomes sight. Like we will, it will be fulfilled. And again, remember we've learned with Daniel, we've, in, we've been introduced to him as the godly man that he was, the prophet, but we also introduced to him as the, from the prophecies that he's given. And prophecy is God's willingness to tell us the future in advance. It's God's warnings and pleadings to understand his love. Many people have you know, variety of views of prophecy and I don't just mean theological views, I mean opinions. Uh, you know, There's the skeptic, there's the guy that makes fun of it, there's the gal that doesn't care, there's some that say, oh God is just saying things to scare you, but it's not God's scare tactics. He wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be ready. We don't know everything that will happen Even though some prophecy folks think they do, we don't know everything that's going to happen. We don't know how it's all going to go down. But we know the times and the seasons. We've been given insight. So pick up with me with all that in mind in Daniel chapter 12. And let's start this ride of looking at the last days. At that time, Michael the archangel, this is Daniel 12, verse 1, who stands guard over your nation will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish, greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Then, verse 3, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the end, the time of the end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Jump down to verse eight now with me. Daniel 12, verse eight. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. So in a very general sense, Daniel learns that there will be a time of increased wickedness on the earth at the end. We see that Where in verse 1 it says, there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first became into existence. Or as Daniel refers to in the New King James, as a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And we believe, biblically, this happens during the last seven years of human history known as the Great Tribulation Period known as the time of Jacob's trouble. A time where God, as the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, where God will then begin to fulfill his word in keeping his promises to the nation of Israel. Now we're not going to get into depth on this, but I want you to turn over on this study. But turn over with me in Matthew chapter 24 to get greater insight of this time. And then we're going to finish our time today in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So go over to Matthew 24 just for some insights about the future. We won't go through the whole chapter, chapter's 51 uh, verses, but let's go through a few just to consider. In chapter 24 of Matthew, in verse 1, it says, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth. They'll be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when will this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told him, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. You'll hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is first the birth pains with more to come. Jump down to verse 22. Well, really in verse 21. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And if anyone tells you, look here, here's the Messiah, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs, false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen people. Even God's chosen people. Notice now, over in 1 Timothy chapter four. 1 Timothy chapter four. Daniel's getting insight on what's happening in the end times and the end times is actually something that the Bible has a lot to say. So we learn a lot about the end times. The first question that's asked is, well, when did the end times start? The end times started at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The end times began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's been God's intention for every generation alive to live with an urgency of the soon return of Jesus Christ. There's actually a fancy word for that. That that we would believe in the imminent return of Jesus. That we would expect him to come at any time. That we would live our lives in such a way And that we would keep our eyes open to the times in which we live. That every generation would see that each successive generation is closer to the coming of the Lord than the last generation. And so notice with me in verse 1 of these glimpses that we have in 1 Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. And they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know that it's made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. And if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Check this out. This is so key. You might want to mark this in your Bibles. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Timothy, don't be surprised that in the last days you will see people walk away from the faith. You'll see them turn their backs on the truth. It's going to happen and it's especially going to happen in the latter days. Can I just say, having been a pastor now here in Colorado 20 years, many years in California, it still bums me out to watch a person turn their back on the things of God. To watch a person that maybe I've served with before, maybe that I have watched fruit in their life, uh, maybe they've they've seen uh, some, uh, or we've been able to witness some kind of behavior in their life, and they turn their life away from the faith Uh, What some people would look and go, oh, they lost their salvation. But I think they've lost their focus and they've lost their desire. And this topic of losing your salvation is a much bigger topic. I've talked about it uh, and taught it in many different passages. But eternal life is eternal life. And we even uh, tackled this on our study in Hebrews. And so what is this turning from the faith? Well, before we get to that, I want you to notice something that we can't miss and that is, in verse 1, the Holy Spirit clearly tells us. It's good to be reminded today that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not a thing, not a force, not an eminence, you know, a, a kind of like what some of the false teachings have tried to make the Holy Spirit someone, something other than a person. The Holy Spirit speaks. Again, I've done in-depth Bible studies on who the Holy Spirit is, but if you're taking notes and you need to be reminded, or you're hearing this for the very first time, consider how the Holy Spirit is described in the Bible. He's not a force, not an impersonal power, but Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. In John 14, 26, we learn that the Holy Spirit teaches us and helps us to remember. In John 16, 8, we learn of he, how he convicts us of our sin. In Acts 13, verse 2, he calls believers to service. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he leads. In Romans chapter 8, verse 27, he intercedes. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he speaks. Again in, in 1 Timothy 4:1, he speaks, he tells us, he reveals. In Acts chapter 5, verse 1, you can lie to the Holy Spirit, in, a, in, Revel, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, God reveals through the word of the Holy Spirit, he says, that many will depart from the faith, especially in the latter days. Timothy, make sure your doctrine is correct, make sure that you're exercising yourself unto godliness make sure that you're developing your life spiritually that was a word to a spiritual leader a word to a spiritual leader that when you begin to see people turn away from the faith on your personal circle of influence it is a reminder of your own life to be diligent to present yourself approved to God I I want you to consider that because we're living in days there's a new phrase I don't know if you've noticed uh, in you know what social media tweets there 's a new phrase that 's real popular among those departing from the faith They, they call it deconstructing their faith. maybe you 're considering deconstructing your faith. Can I just warn you that every time i 've read of someone deconstructing their faith, they have so deconstructed their faith that they 've walked away That, 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 that line uh, that consideration That popular thing in the culture today, some real prominent guys have deconstructed their faith. Uh, They've looked back at their lives and they've looked back at how they were raised. Uh, They've looked back at their life currently coming maybe to a midlife crisis or whatever. And they're influencing youngsters. They're influencing new generations. Oh, go ahead, deconstruct your faith. No, because deconstructing your faith gets you to the place where you place yourself in the position of God. Oh, I'm not saying that we, you know, like a dad, I've raised all my kids into adulthood. And I know that if they examine my life as a dad, they examine my teaching as a dad, they examine how I pass the gospel on to them, they're gonna go, man, dad made a mistake here, he made a mistake there. Like that, I don't need them to tell me that. I know that I wasn't a perfect father. And I know for me personally in those early days, a failure I made as a believer is I was a major legalist as a new parent, a new believer, and I parented out of fear. And I was really, truly, genuinely afraid that if I didn't parent right, and that I didn't raise my kids right, that they would become bad like I was. And what I didn't understand was how to trust in the Lord, how to love my kids, how to be gracious with them, how to give them freedom. And my, you know, poor Eddie, my oldest, he had to pay the price for a lot of that in the early days. But then God really began to show me grace at a very young age as a parent. And, and I grew out of that. And I, I began to learn how to parent my kids. So that, like you're like, oh, you know, your parents did, did it wrong. Like you're a, you're a teenager right now and somebody got in your ear and trying to de- deconstruct your faith. And I don't believe in church. I don't believe in the Bible. And now you're like, well, maybe I. And then they're saying this. Oh, you know, your parents taught you wrong. Or your parents made mistakes. Let me just answer that for you. They did. And what will you do now? Don't consider that they made a mistake like it was catastrophic. Don't consider they made a mistake like, they, like, like, well, you know, they told me the Bible was important. That was a mistake. No, no, that's not a mistake. You know, God actually invites us not to deconstruct our faith because that puts us in the place of God. God invites us in, in, in Isaiah chapter one to come and reason with him. Do you have hard questions of the Bible? God's ready to answer them. Do you have difficult questions about the morality of God? Do you have difficult questions with Bible difficulties? You know, they, they, they have, men have dedicated their entire lives to studying difficulties in the Bible and writing massive books on talking about the difficulties in the Bible. Of course there's difficulties in the Bible, but I don't want you to go down the road of deconstructing your faith. I want you to go down the road of affirming, and the Bible says this, to examine yourself whether you're in the faith or not. Examine your own life and beliefs, opening yourself to the teaching of the scripture, opening yourself to the truth. Because I believe that part of this deconstructing of the faith is demonic. And you're like, come on pastor, another exaggerator, demonic. No, I believe it's demonic. I believe it's a demonic suggestion to take people away from simple faith And here's where I picked that up. Notice in verse one of chapter four again. They're gonna turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits, teachings that come from demons. The demonic world will always cause you to question the truthfulness of God. We have that in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. That is the tactic of the devil from the moment of temptation to question God. Because the moment you begin to question God in the wrong environment, question God in the wrong situation, surrounded by the wrong people, there'll always be a lie to substitute the truth. And you can't believe both. You can't believe the truth and a lie at the same time. There'll always be a lie to believe in replacement of the truth. And I think the latest one in our culture is this whole deconstruction nonsense. And it is. Listen to me, trust me, please, trust me. If you have real questions about the faith, none of us are afraid to answer real questions of the faith. And I'm not even afraid to say, you call on the radio, you send an email. I'm not even afraid to tell you, you know, I, that's a good question. I don't, that's a good question. I've never heard that one before. And, and begin to talk about even, are you, are, you, are you willing to have unanswered questions in your life? I mean, not just biblically, right? There's a lot in our life that's unanswered. I, we don't know. We don't know why we were born into this family. We don't know why we were in the foster care system. We don't know why. We don't know. We, I, even, you know, personally, in being adopted, I have no idea why my parents put me up for adoption. I'm glad they did, but I don't know. It's an unanswered question. And I could take that question and go, oh, I don't know, I'm not wanted, and they just left me on a fire station in a box and didn't want me. And, uh, but, but I don't know, so why make it up? I don't know. And I'm just thankful that somebody adopted me. I love my parents. And then I'm thankful I got adopted again into the body of Christ. Adoption is a good thing. And if I have a question, I don't have the reason. I don't understand what was going on uh, with those that conceived me. But I'm grateful that I was adopted into a family and adopted into the family of God. You know, there are positive answers to the questions in your life. Not just always negative. It's not just always negative. Negative. God has an answer for you. And it's a demonic thing to replace the truth of God's love for you with a lie. With a lie. It's amazing today to find so many people listening to demons and getting involved in the demonic realm. You know, even large segments of Christianity have this weird demonic theology. And just weird. Growing spiritual warfare movement, teaching demons can possess Christians. And where did that come from? demons cannot possess Christians. First John, if you've ever been taught that, I want you to memorize 1 John 4.4. 1 John 4.4 says, you belong to God, dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. He who is in you, the new King James says, is greater than he who is in the world. There's also movements within so-called within Christianity that associate every bad thing with a demon, and some demonic spirit, and, and you know we do find the demonic world is very active, uh, very very much involved in in temptations and and discouragements and and yeah it's the world the flesh and the devil very active, but where in the scriptures do we find demons associated with things like poverty? The demon of poverty or the demon of laziness. No, there's no demon of laziness. You're just lazy. And just confess it. And say, don't blame it on it. You know, if I wasn't possessed by the demon of lethargy, you know, laziness, then, then I wouldn't. No, no, laziness is a work of the flesh. And you can confess it and forsake it. There's freedom. A demonic, the, the demonic type of theology, or if you can call it theology, demonic teachings, like they, they lead to more bondage. Because when you have the truth of the scripture, God can deliver you. The thing is, is that most people don't want to be delivered from their flesh. <laughs> they like living in their flesh. There's no demon of baldness. I mean, how many of us would be dealing with that? But I remember hearing a guy casting out the demon of baldness. If, that was, if it was only that easy. We'd all be casting it out. Or at least some of us would. Like it's just silly. It's silly. We need to base our ministry and our theology on the truth. The word of God. The basics. The foundations of the truth. That the spirit of God speaks forth, not demons. And there's a distinction here. The Holy Spirit tells us this is going to happen. And the main motive will be demonic teachings. And demonic teachings are teachings that aren't, that replace the truth. And they are a lie that you're invited and I'm invited to believe. This departing from the faith, it has caused people question for a long time, departing from the faith. There are some that would say you can't depart from the faith. And I do believe personally and biblically uh, with a solid theology that a, a person that is saved has eternal life that you don't lose your salvation. It's not something you can just lose and find and lose and find and you're not born again, then unborn again and born again. There's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. You are in safe and secure hands of Jesus Christ as a believer. But I do believe that people fake it a lot. And I do believe that people aren't examining themselves and there are parts of the church and parts of Christianity that they like And so they get involved kind of like in in church as a social club. And they've never repented of their sins but they learn the lingo. And they've never denied themselves to follow Jesus but they say they do. And they have a whole new vocabulary and outward life but inwardly they're corrupt. And I do believe there are people even in our own church fellowship that, that, that walk away and they leave the faith. They leave, you know, and even for a person that's that close They're so close. If you hang out here for any, if you watch one study on YouTube, you see one of these studies on an app somewhere, somebody forwards you a link. You're so close. Why why settle for the substitute? Saying you have faith, pretending you have faith, but living a life of deception. I believe that you can walk away from the fruitfulness of your salvation. We often refer to that as backsliding. I believe that at the last days, you can be tempted. And we're in a, a time right now where with technology, like it used to be forwarded emails in the day. Like you'd get a forwarded email with some weird theology, you could just delete it. But now you've you're got so much time on your hands, you're looking for other theology. And more and more of the questions, you know, I saw this guy on YouTube. Well, who is this guy? I don't know, he's on YouTube. Well, what about his character? What about, who is he? Uh, where did he come from? Where did he learn? And, you know, besides the fact what he's saying is so not the scriptures. But what happens, you're in a weak moment. You go searching around. And, and don't, don't think this won't happen to you. You heap up for yourself a teacher to scratch your, your own ear. How, I mean, I, I, with technology today, you could find anybody that agrees with you. Find anybody that will, will build that up in you. And you will leave those men, leave those women that teach the solid truth and you walk away and you backslide. If you're truly intent on turning your back on God, whether whatever state you are, you can turn your back on God. Read Revelation in the first couple chapters again. Why is Jesus so strong in his word toward churches? Why, wasn't seven, why weren't the seven letters in Revelation? Man, great church, great church, great church. You guys are awesome. Great, great. I'm so glad to be the center of your church. But he's saying, if you... Well, to the church, he says, if you don't get right, I'm going to remove the lampstand. That's how... If you say you have a word... You, have a, you say you have a name that you're alive and you're dead to a church. Which, remember, he didn't say... It's not like to a building in a room. He said it to people. Those letters... Were intended for people that were in a church setting. I do believe God teaches that we're secure, but be careful, be careful. Notice it says these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. They'll say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. We have a word for that, it's called legalism. They'll start to replace the simplicity of following Jesus with rules that were required to be kept in order to stay right with God. And he mentions two of them in their cultural time. They forbid to be married. They, they say that in order to serve God the best, you, cannot, you need to take a vow of celibacy and you can never get married. That's a false demonic doctrine. It is not from God. It was warned about in the first century before organized religion came, before Romanism came, before Roman Catholicism came in the third and fourth century, it was warned against that there'll be people that forbid to marry. It's demonic. It's not from the Lord. Forbidding and commanding behaviors contrary to the word of God. It sounds today like if you do this, you'll be saved. If you don't do this, you won't be saved. And here it's the forbidding of marriage and eating certain foods. And today there's certain groups that exist uh, that do the same thing. Groups that say marriage is not of the Lord or in order to get married your mate has to be approved by the leadership or in some churches they say you can't get married to anyone that you've chosen will choose your spouse for you. And this doctrine of of discipleship and and authority, um, churches are still doing that today. Uh, it's uh, the United, not the, yeah, maybe the United Church of Christ or the Church of Christ that associates with the name of the city. So I think they're still here in Denver, the Church of Christ, the Denver Church of Christ. The ch- one part of the Church of Christ uh, does not hold to this doctrine. Um, there is a general Church of Christ, but the Church of Christ that associates the name of the city that they're in, it started in Boston with the Boston Church of Christ and then outgrews from there, that they, they are very authoritative and authoritarian in their their oversight of the church. And they tell you who you can marry and who you can't marry. And he says, listen, this is contrary to what God taught. In verse three it says, but God created these things. He created food to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. And since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it but receive it with thanks. Except Brussels sprouts, that was, crea- that was not created by God. That was created by sin. Adam and Eve did some experiment in the garden, and poof! But bacon? Created by God. For sure. It's so miss everybody laughing at my super good on-the-spot jokes. So maybe on the radio, you guys are just, pull over, don't crash at that funny joke. Notice. He says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant. If, if you're taking notes or you like to write in your Bible, circle that because it's not just a responsibility for Timothy, it's our responsibility. Timothy, be a man of the word and explain these things to people. Explain them, instruct the brethren, nourish them in the word. It says in verse uh, six, one who is nourished by the message of faith. This goes so well with our teachings as we've been studying the shepherd because the shepherd's intent is to nourish us, to feed us, to make sure we have the right nutrients and all that our our spiritual body needs to thrive. And Paul's exhorting Timothy to stay the course. Don't go off to the left or to the right. I was talking with a brother recently who uh, one of the men that was serving with him uh, left the faith. And we're still puzzled. I just talked to him again this week. We're still puzzled on exactly what's happening because he's not communicating right now. Somebody was very close, right-hand man, serving alongside of him, but now he doesn't believe in God anymore. And it was very abrupt and very challenging. And the brother that I was speaking to is very challenged by it. And we don't know exactly what's happening, what, what he's wrestling with. But the calling for that young man, the calling for Timothy is not to follow and be stumbled to follow him. No, not to. No, Timothy, you continue to teach the truth. You continue. The calling of God in a pastor's life is to equip the saints and to teach them the word and to encourage and exhort. We don't have counseling here. We provide biblical discipleship. And if you ever sit down with someone here, pastor, pastor's wife, leader, uh, lay leader, they're going to open the Bible to you. And they're going to obey this. Explain these things to the brothers and sisters. And that, that is what is worthy. You are a worthy servant when you tell people the word of God, that you are nourished and then you are nourishing others. The pastor isn't to take everything into his own hands. He's not to control every minute detail of the church. He's not to be stumbled when people fall away. The pastor's ministry is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and then to deploy the saints and then to rejoice of the work of God that we all get to do. Where does that come from? How do we equipped, and how are we strengthened? By being nourished in the word of God. And God equips us and he encourages us and he strengthens us. And for those of you already involved in some form of ministry, which is all believers, whether you're at the workplace or in the home or in the church, take care of yourself. Make sure that you take care of yourself. Jump to verse 16, and we'll wind down here. What are we learning? Wickedness is gonna increase. Demonic doctrines, lies replacing the truth. What is good is called evil, evil called good. You're going to see that in the last days. So here, here's a word from God for all of us. Notice 1 Timothy 4:16. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Take care of yourself personally. In the New King James, take heed to yourself. Or I like this. Keep a close watch on how you live. Pay attention to how you live. Because, you know, being involved in ministry, being involved in, in serving others, you pay a lot of attention to how other people live. Because you have to. They come to you with problems and difficulties, and you're keeping a watch on other people. And, and, and please continue to do that. But don't do that before you keep a watch on yourself and how you live and on what you're teaching. Because we're all called to some sort of ministry, and we're all called to serve others in Jesus' name. Take care of your personal life and make sure you're being nourished and fed in the word. Treat your life, you know, not like a frozen dinner, but like a well-made, homemade, prepared dinner. Like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Although, I wonder if we'll ever see another buffet again after all of this. There's word, they're closing them down. Every, I, I don't, but you can still remember how it's just all-you-can-eat, the word of God, just taking it all in. This letting the Holy Spirit minister to you. And those who once committed to the faith, those that were hanging out with God, those that were serving in the church, in this church, will fall away. They'll change. There will be people that their commitments change, that their attitudes change. There'll be people that were sitting right next to you that you never see again, and you don't know what happened to them. There'll be people getting mad at the church and getting mad at God. There'll be people that have, I was thinking of it this way, Marie and I were talking about this recently there. as, As believers, we have one cause. You realize that, right? There's one cause, the cause of Christ. That's it. There's not two, there's not five, there's not ten. It's the cause of Christ where he is the center of our life and everything comes out from him. We're to deny ourselves, we're to pay the price taking up our cross and we're to follow him. It's the cause of Christ. But in our culture, in our democracy, there always seems to be another cause to take people's eyes off the Lord. And so that that cause, I mean, I watch it over and over and over again. I watch in other people's lives, and then I want to be warned myself because I can get fired up about things, but I see it. I see it time and time again where they get caught up in some cause. It's a worthy cause. It's a great cause. But they begin to spend all of their time, energy, and attention in the cause. And I think, you know, what would it be like if they spend all that time, energy, effort, money, time, commitment in the cause of Christ. And here's the rub. They'll tell you it's for the cause of Christ because they're fully convinced it is. But it, somewhere along the way, and I'm sure it's how it started, somewhere along the way it flipped. And now, like for example, the uh, studying the Bible, we're being nourished. You know, some people make studying the Bible and theology more important than the God that they're studying. And so now they're just super smart in theology, but they actually don't look like God, they don't act like God at all because they're super smart in theology. So every conversation is intended for you, for them to share with you that you're just dumb because you don't know as much as they do. That's not the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ is washing people's feet, serving them. It's not letting people know how smart you are. I think in our study in Daniel, Our study in Daniel has been so rich and so powerful and it's so prophetic, I love prophecy. It's the heritage handed down to me. However, there are people that have made prophecy more important than their worship of God and that's all they wanna talk about. You know, the the Bible's filled with prophecy so we don't wanna avoid it, but the Bible's filled with a lot of other things and we don't wanna avoid those either. And so now a doctrine just becomes so much more important. I, I think of some of the political causes, as noble as they are. The political causes now become, and the protests and the boycotts. And now all you all hear is they're just talking about the boycotts and talking about government. And it's like, well, what, what have you done for the Lord lately? Who have you shared the gospel with? Who have you loved? Who have you baked a pie for? Who Have you checked in on your name? Like what? Why are you? To, what, what? Because I'll tell you, it's easier. It's easier to live for secondary causes and say they're from the Lord. But see, God, he wants to speak and lead. And he may give you a passion for prophecy. That's great. And he may give you a passion to be in politics. That's great. And he may give you a passion to be a deep theologian and write commentaries. That's great. But there's only one cause. And that's the cause of Christ. Everything must be put in second, third, fourth to the cause of Christ. And there are those that will walk away for a variety of different reasons. They'll just leave. They'll leave their homes. They'll leave their commitments. They'll leave their first love. I remember the first time I learned here in this church years and years ago. I, I really had never experienced the, this people leaving or, or maybe in the church I came from, I didn't pay much attention to it because I was only involved in, assault, you know, in a segment of the church. I didn't understand these things. So when I came here and began to pastor and just teach and, and there was a small group gathering, I remember somebody just stopped coming. And I didn't know how to get a hold of them. Nobody really knew. They just stopped coming. And then we lost touch with them for a long time. And finally, I found out like later on that they, the reason they left the church is because they first left their wife and left their kids and moved to another state to go move in with another gal. And of course, if you've leave your wife and you leave your kids and you go move to another state to move in with another guy you're gonna leave the faith because you already have and so as you watch this just know it happens and it's gonna happen more and more in the last days and as much as I say this with confidence I know it's very difficult like don't take it personal even though you will take it personal <laughs> it's like don't take it personal it's like, well, what, what could I have done? Probably not much. The Bible predicts it. In the last days, you're gonna see this. And I, I'm certain that there are those listening to me that can get, that some of the, what I described, you can actually put names to. Because there are people in your life that just turn their back on the Lord. And they made it a church thing. And they made it a pastor thing. And they made it a Bible version thing. And they made it all kinds of things, but it actually isn't that at all. They just refuse to deny themselves. And to take up their cross and follow them. Instead of following Jesus, they're following themselves. And in the days and closer to the return of the Lord, it's going to happen more and more. So we're going to spend a few, time, few weeks looking at some things of the last days. We won't be exhaustive. But today we learn there's going to be a lot of demonic activity. But understand that demonic activity is going to be related to teaching and influencing people to turn their back on the things of God. And that's what Daniel's seeing here, the end times. He didn't understand it, but he said it's gonna be revealed in the last days when knowledge is gonna increase. And we'll get into that in future studies. So Father, thank you for us uh, not, I'm thankful that at this point in my walk with you, I have not departed from the faith. And I do pray for some of the faces that I see in my mind of people that have walked away Some believers that are are rankly backslidden right now. I pray for them right now. There's one man in particular that you know who he is, God. I'm praying for him right now. It's been many, many, many years since he served you. And although he's made many mistakes sinfully, I know in repentance you would receive him back. And I pray for him to come back. I'd like to, personally, i pray even more. I'd like to serve with them again, Lord. That would be a joy in my heart if we got to serve together again as we did many years ago. So I just pray for them right now, God. Bring them back. And hear the prayers of your saints and servants as we pray for people that we think of that got caught up in prophecy and now they're not the same. They got got, got caught up in some cause and now they're just not the same. Instead of everything being surrounding you, Now everything is surrounded by their new theology or their new doctrine or their new teaching or their new cause. And they're just not talking about Jesus anymore like they used to. And so I just pray, God, that you would stir up your church. I pray, God, that you would keep us close. We want to instruct the brethren. Would you nourish us and feed us? Would you help us to persevere and endure to the end? Would you help us, Lord, to be nourished and strengthened? and help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. If you're here today, you're listening online, you're watching this, receiving this, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day. And I wanna invite you into a relationship with God. I wanna invite you to follow Jesus. If Jesus was here and you were like around him, uh, you can read in the scriptures, he was always pointing people out saying, come follow me. And, And his life was so attractive that you would want to follow him. But then there were also people following him for the wrong motives. There's a sad, sad verse in the gospel of John, chapter six, verse 66, No surprise that this verse is numbered that way because it's super demonic in my mind. And it says, after Jesus said some hard words, which really weren't too difficult at all, it says many of his disciples departed from him and followed him no more. Even Jesus experienced people turning on him in person. But I'm inviting you to turn to him because there's many, many, many more, much more that have followed him and not departed. And I want to follow you, I want to invite you into a relationship where you would turn away and repent of your sins. And you could do that right now. You could say, God, I repent of my sins. There are many. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins, to forgive me. And I'm asking you, God, to forgive me. I don't deserve it, but I want it. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. You know, God hears those prayers. And if you cried out and called out to God, you confessed with your mouth today that you want to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. He receives you. Now, I know there might be some listening go, but I don't understand it all. You know, I've been following Jesus for 29 years and I don't understand it all. And that's the good news. The good news is that over time, God teaches you. You don't have to understand it all. God's message goes out to the smart, to the knowledgeable, and those that have no knowledge. He saves us all. Uh, when When I responded to the invitation like this, like you did right now, in my house, I didn't even own a Bible. There wasn't even a Bible. I was a husband and a dad, and my house didn't even have a Bible. My house had beer, my house had drugs, my house had ugly, nasty stuff, but it didn't have a Bible. And God saved me. And now I've got more Bibles than I can read. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful, and you will, too. So at a time like this, if you responded that we would normally ask you to come up to the stage where I'm standing, we'd give you a packet, but we can't do that right now. And even on the, every time this goes out on the radio, we never, you, if you're out on the radio in Texas, you can't be here, but we can put you in, a, uh, in contact with a church in Texas or New Jersey or South Carolina. We can put you, I have friends in Idaho. I mean, I think about this. I've, I've got friends pretty much in every state that pastor churches. And if I don't, I'll make new friends to find a church for you. But we can take care of that for you. We can get you a Bible if you need it, but now with you know apps and everything, you can get a Bible. And we can put this information that we would give you here into your hands if you just go to our website. CalvaryCO, just remember the Calvary in Colorado, calvaryco.church. And scroll down to the bottom, there is a how to know God button or line there, it says, how to know God. Click that, and everything we have that we give away here, we have it there for you. And we would love to put it in your hands. You could print it out. You could share it with your friends. Use it. Or you can text me. And this is amazing, guys. We are getting texts every service of somebody that has either rededicated or given their life to the Lord for the first time. So we see the text. Believe me, I see the text. And then I send them out. And you can use this number. You ready? Seven two zero. That's the area code. Three three six zero eight nine seven. Seven 897 Tell us you responded. Tell us that you need help. You just need prayer. If you have a general prayer request, give us that information as well. And we would love to serve you. And if we are in another state or another country, wherever we'll plug, we'll find a church for you. That's the beautiful thing. Church is everywhere. The church is everywhere. People that believe in Jesus Christ are literally everywhere on the planet. There's still some people that have never heard the gospel yet, but the church is working on that even now. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.